Welcome to the Superhero of Love podcast. I am Bridget Fonger. I wrote a book called Superhero of Love, Heal Your Broken Heart and Then Go Save the World. That book is going to be out in January 2019, but I didn't want to wait until that time to start talking to superheroes of love. And guess what? Here's the news. You are a superhero of love. And through talking to other superheroes like yourself, tapping into that little superhero inside of you, I'm hoping that you and I and all of us start feeling more and more like superheroes of love, meaning that we love and are loved more than ever before. So welcome. Let's get this party started. All right, superheroes, welcome. We are here with Catherine Woodward Thomas, who is a licensed licensed marriage and family therapist and the author of not one, but two bestsellers. She simply does not write anything that is not a bestseller, so her two books are both bestsellers. Um, so Calling in the One came out in 2004. And her new book is Conscious Uncoupling, Five Steps to Living Happily Even After, which is hilarious. Um, she's an inspirational speaker. She does workshops. She does um, in-person and virtual workshops. She has touched hundreds of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of hearts. And she is absolutely unequivocally a superhero of love, meaning she is in the business of helping heal people's hearts and to have them be more able to love and be loved. Mm. Let me stop and say more able to love and be loved. I have to say this little caveat. So I read your book over the last couple of nights and I need you to know, because when you get my book, um, you're going to say, oh my God, we even have the same Hafiz quote in our books. You're going to think that I completely ripped you off, but I did not read a single book from the moment that I started writing this book to the final edit, I didn't start reading books until this year, actually. Wow. Or until, excuse me, until the final draft was in, right? But you're going to, you're going to absolutely think I ripped you off, which is so hilarious. But I wanted to say that I also perused your website, of course, and I saw that you even have on your website more able to love and be loved and that is like that's like the line that i'm incessantly using in all of my work let's let's work on being more able to love and be loved so i acknowledge you for being one of my sisters of the heart welcome Catherine woodward thomas thank you so much well i think the more love the merrier so yes I'm happy you're using those lines. That's really great. I did, and I did, but I did not see your website until two days ago. So it's like the most hilarious thing that we just both happen to be say, using the same wording. Um, and I was just, my book launch was just a couple of weeks ago. And at the book launch, I held my book high up in the air and I said, I am not the only one in the business of doing this. There are so many books out there. Of course, yours is an extraordinary book for anybody that is going through heartache who has ended a relationship. We're going to mostly talk about conscious uncoupling today, but you're welcome to talk about anything that you want from calling in the one. I just want to say that I absolutely adored your book. So our our books, while they have little threads that are similar to them, like Debbie Ford, which who we both obviously love. But yours is extraordinary because it has so much historical research, so much medical research, and the stories of your own patients. 
So I just wanted to say it's such an incredible, juicy, deep read. So thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. I really love your book, too. And I think that this is an idea whose time has come. You know, the happily ever after myth was created when the lifespan was less than 40. It was about 400 years ago, believe it or not, happily ever after started in Venice, Italy, which is still the romance capital of the world. Isn't that crazy? I love it. But it started really because of the life conditions of the day, which is you know, partially that people had no way out of their class structure. They were born into poverty. They were going to die in poverty because there was a law on the books at the time that prevented a noble person from marrying a commoner. And, and really woven into that happily ever after story is this idea of being rescued, this idea of being now upwardly mobile, of, of going from rags to riches. And it's really deeply in our psyche and the people also back then had no mobility. So it wasn't like they moved around a lot, you know, like they, they, they had, you know, five people to choose from, <laughs> you know, like right. who are you going to marry? <laughs> so it, it was just contextually a really different time. Yeah. And as much as we are all advocates of lifelong, committed, healthy love, um, the reality of our time is that most of us are slated for serial monogamy, meaning the statistics will show that the majority of us will have two to three significant relationships in our lifetime. So, so, but the issue is, is that nobody really ever taught us how to bring conscious closure. Right. So that our lives don't get smaller, that we don't become bitter. Uh, all breakups, if you've ever had your heart broken, and I'm guessing that many of us here have, you know, they're, they're a crossroads. And, and many people go on to live a lesser life in the aftermath of, of heartbreak. So, um, so conscious uncoupling, superhero of love, like these are, these are books that are, are, are really like life is wanting us to write them so that we can support everyone to you know, clear away the cobwebs of that contracted heart, to heal at the core, to be able to grow from the experience so that you never repeat those same patterns again. You can trust yourself. You can go into your next relationship knowing that you are more capable of love on the other side of that heartbreak. We have to learn how to do this. And nature has not hardwired us to break up. Nature has hardwired us to stay together. So it's yeah. not an organic process. Yeah, you mentioned in your book uh, that at age, 40, you, at age 41, you said, I will be engaged by the time I'm 42. And at that time, at that time around that time in my life, I had a lot of friends saying the same thing. We're almost, we're around the same age. And I found that some women did that and set that goal. And the goal was so extreme because there was such a fear of not being coupled, of being alone, that they got into relationships that weren't necessarily, you know, the most spectacular thing that they could have gotten into. And calling in the one is about that, of getting yourself ready and drawing in the, the great relationship. And you did that. And anybody on the call that is is healing their broken heart and is almost ready to go out there again, calling in the one, I can't more highly recommend that. No, thank you. Well, I think 
I mean, I wrote the books. I wrote Calling in the One first, but I think that Conscious Uncoupling is kind of the precursor to Calling in the One because I always like to say that our next relationship won't begin when we meet the next person. Our next relationship begins with how we end That's with great. a former person. And we all know that we have a tendency, if we're incomplete, to bring you know, uh, the, those bruises forward into the next relationship to punish people or to defend against love in ways that are really inappropriate to what's actually happening between yourself and the person standing in front of you. So I think, you know, having conscious closure is always going to be about um, using whatever the breakdown was to become your best self, to outgrow the version of who you were in that relationship. You know, it's very easy for us to get stuck in blaming the other person and and the truth is is that people behave very badly at the end of love and so if he, and and sometimes in love and so if if anyone is struggling with the resentment my guess is is that there's a good reason i love that thing that debbie ford used to say that not only debbie ford said this but pointing your finger outward how many fingers are pointing back at you and that's what you were just speaking to is like if you're hurting each other well, and I'll tell you where it gets hard because a lot of the things that happen um, are so egregious. You know, somebody cheats on you. Somebody steals your money. Somebody sleeps with your best friend. Like these are these are these are so unfair. We human beings are very hardwired for fairness. I mean, even if somebody pledges lifelong devotion and there's an agreement that you'll always be my love, I'll always be here for you, and then suddenly one day they're not. That broken agreement, it lives for us as, as like some, like there's like a crime almost. Like somebody did something horrible. It does. And I built my life around that promise. And now they just broke their word and there's no real accountability. And all they're doing is maybe making me wrong or explaining themselves or not. Or maybe they ghosted me. All these really bad things that people do to each other. So it, it's it's not like, you know, people haven't misbehaved, but the only place of power is to actually ask, how did I contribute to this situation? And, and very often, the ways that we contribute to our own broken hearts are very covert in nature, mm. meaning like I gave too much of myself because I was trying to prove my value. Or I overcompensated for their bad behavior. I took too much responsibility for the bad behavior of the other person. I skipped over the red flags that they were never accountable for themselves. I disappeared myself and started organizing around someone else. I got disconnected from my own feelings and needs, so I self-abandoned to be in the relationship over and over again. You know, those are the things that we need to really take stock of because here's the thing. If we don't and, and we keep blaming the other person, what's going to happen is that we will not trust ourselves moving forward. Mm -hmm. On some level, we will know, oh my gosh, I am capable of doing this again. And so what we'll do is then, you know, if, if breakups are a crossroad, a lot of us will, will shut down. Well, we'll shut down. Yeah. I mean, I've met people, I'm sure you have too, uh, Bridget, where, where I've met people 10 years, 20 years later. Yeah. And they never really had a significant love after that. Because if yep. you ever had your heart shattered, 
you never want that to happen again. Yeah. Yep. If you don't actually know how to integrate the lessons and transform from the experience, then you will have to just shut down. One of the very moving quotes in your book, you have a lot of really amazing quotes. That just the quotes alone is its own uh, deliciousness in your book. But one of the quotes that I had never heard before was Jeff Brown saying, I miss my heart when it's closed. That is the most. Oh, I know. <laughs> it's such a beautiful quote. And that's what happens. I mean, when I look at my friends who have shut down 20, 25 years ago and, and are not and haven't. And they, they actually, they haven't healed their heart because they're actually scared to walk into that door because they feel like they're going to drown on the other side of that door from the pain. So they don't even know that they're missing their own hearts in a way. I think people know kind of sort of that there's a way that they're not really available, but it doesn't stop people from wanting love or fantasizing about love. I mean, that's the thing with these inner obstacles. It's not like we stop wanting to be connected and loved and held and supported and seen, you know, like we still want yeah. those things. Yes. We'll just start to substitute drama for love or near misses, or we'll get, you know, get involved in people who are kind of committed elsewhere. So we'll get involved with unavailable people. We'll think we're available. I mean, this now gets into <laughs> in the one right that's yes. calling this is calling in the one people how are, yes. how are you the source of not having love let's look really deeply because on the surface you know we all want to be loved we all want to be happy we all want to be you know held and pampered but there's a lot of you know if we don't trust ourselves to keep our hearts safe to um understand the skills uh, that we need in order to 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 make sure that it goes well. You know, I, I think there's this fantasy that people have, like if I just meet the right person, mm -hmm. I'll have a great relationship. But it's it's not. It's like you know, because every relationship is a spectrum of possibility. That's all relationship is a spectrum of possibilities. What are you going to generate with this person? Oh, beautiful. Right. So we um, have you just you just said the word safe. And I want to come to that because there's a really great section of your book called The Alarming Absence of Safety. But I would love to talk about that because that juncture in the loss of a relationship and in the healing from that loss, can you tell people what you would say to help them hold their hearts when they feel unsafe at that moment? Well, so first let's just talk about the lack of safety because, you know, all of relationships are like a container. And relationships regulate us. So they regulate us emotionally and they regulate us on a physical level. When we're close to people, we start um, emulating their uh, heart rate and their blood, um, their, their, their uh, body temperature and all sorts of things start to get regulated when we're sleeping in the same bed with someone. And so, and also uh, that, that emotional regulation is that phenomenon of when when you know the person who is the person who's hurting you the most in the world like you know is shattering your heart the moment you hear their voice your whole body comes down right so what's that so relationships really are our safe space in the world so when you have a breakup you get deregulated and there's the absence of safety and the person who was your safe space is now the danger zone so it's very confusing 
we're emotionally uh, unregulated. Um, we our bodies go into fight or flight. You know, um, studies have shown that rejection in the brain uh, has the same patterns as fight or flight. So we, as as like we're under a threat for our lives. So, you know, and if you start to track that back, maybe a thousand years ago, people who wandered away from their tribe and they got lost, they, they went into a panic that they were going to die. We're not going to die if we, you know, have a breakup, but we still feel like we're going to die. We go into that threat state. Um, there's also studies that show that the brain patterns of people who are going through a breakup are similar to, to the person who is um, undergoing the death of a loved one. So it's a very, very big trauma to lose an intimate love. So we're, 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 we're deregulated. We don't have that safe space anymore. We also aren't safe with ourselves because we have, you know, in response to all that threat, we have these huge emotions where, you know, even if we're the most mild-mannered person, all of a sudden we want to, you know, chop somebody's uh, <laughs> feet off. You know, I mean, like really, like serious, like fantasies of harming people. <laughs> and and you know, I mean, I'm always horrified that whenever I read about these, you know, horrible crimes of passion, I always look and and inevitably I I start to research and and it had to do with a breakup. You wow. know, like, like yeah. we actually do go a little bit insane. Now, most of us are not going to act out in some crazy way because we're, you know, too sane for that. But we have those feelings still. You, you're you making me laugh right now. And I just want to say, you that's the other thing that you can look forward to when you read the book, people, is that she will make you laugh. And one of the first, right near the opening of the book, breakups are one of my least favorite things right up there with global warming elder abuse and high child poverty rates <laughs> i love that quote but i love how you make me laugh throughout it because you're dealing with some serious stuff and you're asking people also to do some really great deep exercises um some deep some not so deep all different levels of deepness um and i love that the humor that you have interwoven throughout it oh, thank you yeah humor humor is one of my core values so oh, that's great so you have all this stuff going on but the other thing that creates a lack of safety is that we feel very often betrayed by life mm. right because we have this fantasy we kind of, or, or, or this vision, and then it, it, it turned to dust. And, and a lot of times where we'll go is that, you know, God betrayed us or whatever our version of God is. And at the time that we most need prayer and meditation, we'll stop meditating and praying. So that's what we're talking about, the, the, the lack of safety. That's just the, the waters we're swimming in. But the, so, so step one of conscious uncoupling, and there are five steps. I mean, you know, Gwyneth popped it into the lexicon and it became a, a meme. It became actually a new possibility, um, mm -hmm. when she did. But, but it's actually written as a five step program because, you know, conscious, being a conscious person, behaving in, in alignment with your values and your ethics as opposed to your wild emotions is does not come organically. So even though all of us would aspire to a good breakup, very few of us that can actually manage ourselves to do it. So so conscious uncoupling is this five-step program. And the first one is find emotional freedom. And one of the things that I uh, have people do is learn how to hold yourself from a deeper center with these really 
huge emotions that are, you know, making you feel kind of crazy and out of control. And um, one of the one of the things that I can just pass on to people in doing that has to do with what psychologists call affect labeling. And that is the simple act of sitting with yourself and saying to yourself, you just actually say to yourself your own name. You say, Catherine, sweetheart, what are you feeling right now? And you see if you can put a name on the feeling because it's coursing through your body like a huge tidal wave energy. The moment you say, well, I'm feeling, you know, terror. Now, now you begin to have it. It no longer has you. You have it because language is a container. And if you can sit with yourself for five, 10 minutes and just do that and just name every specific emotions. And then you just say to yourself and, and you, you know, when you say terror, you say, Oh, sweetheart, I can see how terrified you are. Mm. And you, you soothe yourself. You start to calm yourself down. You will get more back in the driver's seat. And then you can start to think more rationally about your next step. That's beautiful. And instant safety, right? Yeah, that's mm. beautiful. Yeah, I call it the inner sanctuary of safety practice. Sometimes it's hard for us to hold the emotions because they're so big. So then I have also, I added uh, uh, something from the Buddhist practice, Tonglen, in there, which has to do with just breathing in to the best of your ability, the feeling that's so hard to hold because um, it's so big. I mean, the feelings really do sometimes when we're in the thick of it feel bigger than us, which I don't need to tell you because you talk about it too. But so we're, we're breathing it into our hearts and then we breathe out a blessing for ourselves and all human beings who are experiencing this very emotion, this very moment. Oh, so beautiful. I had that, I mentioned that in my book that there was one pivotal moment. I, I'll never forget I was laying in bed and just suffering with those emotions. And I, in that moment, I realized, wait, there's somebody in Japan who's feeling this exact same thing. Wait, there's somebody in India. There's somebody in Iowa, you know? And all of a sudden I felt like I was part of a community of broken hearts that we were all, this is a human, this is okay. You're not going to die. We're, we're surrounding the globe with our broken hearts and we're going to survive this. But getting presence to that was, was yeah, awesome. I love that. I love that. That's beautiful. So that's the tongue blend where you're, you're kind of allowing your heart to break open to your own humanity. And you see that this is not a personal problem. It's, it's something very human that, that really like a million other people in this moment are experiencing all around the world too. I love that quote from, there's a story of Kate and John. Is it Kate or Kathy and John? I'm sorry, I'm looking at my notes right now. Um, and Kate, Kate, Kate and John, and she's, and you brought the story to a close with saying that she, how deeply grateful she was that Jack broke her heart. And I, I feel the same way. Yeah, and Jack, it's Jack. So Jack was a real player. He really shattered her heart, you know, and, and these are the things that happen. You know, people behave badly. And then we sit there with our friends, you know, and we get all this agreement. And, and I think that there's a moment where we need to do that. I think there's a time we need to do that. But we've got to make that transition to saying, okay, how did I set myself up? How did I collude in this? I mean, when, you know, he, he ended up behaving really, really badly. He kind of strung her along for years. And then, uh, you know, she had wanted a baby for years. And then when she was finally just past her childbearing years, he he uh, let her go because now suddenly he realized he wanted a child to marry somebody else younger. 
and had a child. <laughs> so she was really stuck. Yeah. And, uh, like, how do I forgive that? But, but really what she needed to see is who she was being in the relationship with Jack. And that's what she wasn't really focused on. I mean, I think she felt a little bit of shame about it. She kind of knew it, but her attention kept going to him needing to somehow make amends to her. He had done something unfair and wrong and egregious. But when she started to really take stock in this more objective way, in a way where she wasn't shaming herself, but she was really in an inquiry, like, okay, who is I being and what's the amends that I need to make to myself moving forward? Um, that's when she really started to see how much she was self-abandoning, um, how she had kind of thrown herself at him for years, how she was pretending to be low maintenance because she wanted him to choose her. She said she was really inauthentic and long suffering and martyring herself. I mean, the woman that he ended up marrying kind of knew her own boundaries and insisted on a lot of things. And, you know, he, he got very excited that this woman was like, Oh, okay. This is what I have to do to please you. Oh my God. That is incredible. That's such a great story. Yeah. Uh, speaking of that, looking inside at where you are, you know, oh, it's, and in that case, and you have a lot of dramatic cases like that where it's so easy, even as the reader, to go, of course you were pointing your finger at him. That's terrible. But um, looking looking back at the other three fingers that are pointing at you, but I love that. Well, but the only, the only reason to do it is because there's no access to power. You won't actually heal. If you stay fixated there. So that's why I validate it. Like, yes, and this is your work to do. You've got to turn the lens on yourself and do and really look to see what needs to change moving forward. Okay. So, because she's now in a very happy relationship because she did that work. And she's a mother because they adopted two girls. So yeah, I love that story. There's so many stuff. great stories in there. Oh my God. Um, Speaking of looking at it inside, I love the Thich Nhat Hanh quote that you have. I recognize that there is garbage in me, and I am going to transform this garbage into nourishing compost that can make love appear. And it sounds like that's exactly what she did. Yeah, exactly. Nourishing that's compost. There you have it. So we talked about um, safety. So at that juncture... Um, right after the breakup when you feel uh, unsafe. And now I want to move us toward um, your own story of what is of generosity and kindness and love toward your ex-husband. And I just wanted to share this one thing that I did not know that I found in your book. Generous shares the same root as genesis and generate, gen, which means to give birth. I did not know that. Yeah. generosity that's beautiful so please talk about that because it's so inspiring and in fact it it is to me it's the heart of conscious uncoupling it yeah. and it gives such levity to the whole thing when you can focus on generous generosity and kindness so yeah, thank you it's my favorite part of the process it's step four becoming a love alchemist the first three steps are just all your own inner work and how to process it so that you're not making false meaning and you're really getting the lessons that you need to pay forward in your life and when once you tend to yourself you know you still have another human being to deal with and sometimes you know that means you're getting actually unmarried and dealing with 
transitioning to being co-parents like my husband and I. I love that. <laughs> and sometimes um, you're just, you know, you're breaking up with someone and you need to find a way to be at peace with that person. You, you don't want to be walking around, you know, with a festering resentment. So you need to find peace. So um, step four has a lot to do. One of the things in step four is, is a lot to do with these generous gestures. I'll tell you when it started when Mark and I were sitting with the mediator and I wrote Calling in the One when I was married to Mark. It took me two years to write that book. And, you know, he read every single page and gave me feedback. And he kind of carried the weight of our family when I was writing the book. I mean, he, he was really big, a big part of that effort. And then he tolerated all of the shenanigans that went on with launching the book and launching the teachings. So he really participated in it. And um, the mediator said, okay, well, you know, now we need to discuss Catherine's royalties for calling in the one because we're dividing assets, which is very like really like getting root canal on three teeth at once. <laughs> so, so, you know, we're tolerating and just breathing through this horrible process. And, um, and, and he startles both of us with this really, he just looked at me so kindly. He said, Oh, Catherine, you worked so hard on that book. I would never dream of taking any of your royalties. Oh my God. That makes me cry. That's so beautiful. Wow. So kind. And it just started this culture of generosity between us. So it about a couple of months later, Mark had moved out. He had his own apartment. Finances were very stretched because you know anybody who's gone from one home to two understands that you have to make it work with the same amount of money. So, um, and our our daughter was adjusting, and he was giving a bit of child support. It was all kind of you know working somehow. And he calls me one day. He said, "I lost my job." And I was so startled and my first impulse was say, oh, I'm sure you're going to find another one soon and you'll be fine. Then I got scared. Oh my gosh, what if he can't pay his rent? And then I went, oh, oh my gosh, he's not going to be able to pay child support. But I didn't say anything and I got off the phone pretty graciously and I, but I wrestled with it that whole afternoon. Like, what am I going to do about that? Am I going to be tough on him? Am I going to make him go, you know, go drive an Uber to go, you know, I mean, there was no Uber then, but, you know, whatever you have to do, go get it, you know, just to chop wood, carry water jobs, so you can pay your child support. But I thought to myself, well, you know, I'm a pretty resourceful person and, um, and I bet there's a thousand ways I could make extra money, but I, there's only one father that my daughter is ever going to have. And I really need to, 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 you know, build this happy post-divorce family. So I actually called him and I said, you know what, why don't you not pay child support during this period of unemployment? So that was my way of, of showing up generously. So, so each of us making these decisions in those critical moments when it mattered to be mm -hmm. generous with each other. And it only took one of you to start the trend, too. Yes. It's like you say, it only takes one person to consciously uncouple. Like just one person can shift the landscape. Yeah, it, it, it can, it, we have a lot of power. I mean, a great example is a woman I was uh, working with whose uh, former husband was really making her wrong and 
you know, just very mean and had a already had a live-in girlfriend. And their son was going back and forth between them. He was only about four. And and the father and girlfriend would badmouth the mother. I mean, it was a horrible situation. So what she did uh, with step four is she um, heard from her son that the father was sick. And she took it as an opportunity to call the father's new girlfriend. And she said, hey, let me, I hear that he's not feeling well. Let me give you his favorite soup recipe that he loves when he's sick. So beautiful. He generated a different, like it was a pattern interrupt. Right, and it, right. it, it startled them and they got nicer to her. Right. And and the good part of that is that they actually stopped torturing the four-year-old son, right? And that's why she did it. She didn't do it because she wanted personally anything to do with them. Right. Personally, right. she was triggered. Right. But, she, right. but she'd done step one. She knew how to calm herself. She knew what she was committed to. Uh, step four is also about setting an intention for a future and living into that future. The intention she set was about having a cohesive family unit where their son felt safe mm. in the family and being inclusive. I call it an expanded family. So she had to generate that and it got much better through her generosity. So, so I, you know, when we marry, we understand we need to put money in the emotional bank account. If we hope to create a happy post-divorce expanded family, we must we must build that family too. And if you've had the the disappointment of a separation, then you must really consciously effort coming out of that hole. And we know that the norm is people living in that deficit, that hole. They they get fixated in the resentments, they get fixated in you know the ways that they failed each other. It doesn't get better. Uh children look more resilient than they are. Mm-hmm. And they, they are energy sponges. So even if people manage to have a cold war between them, they're not bad-mouthing each other. They are kind of on the surface cooperating. If you have hatred in your heart, if you have bitterness and resentment in your heart, your child feels it. Yeah. You want to get to a place where you all kind of can giggle together and <laughs> a good game of scrabble. Which is, is the image that I have of you and Mark and his ex-wife and your daughter um, tell that story of how, because you absolutely transformed that. And that could have come out of like, so just one simple action that you take, like the soup recipe, you, you know that you're not doing it for yourself. You have no, no interest in being friends with them, but you could actually cause the kind of transformation that you caused. You know, I was just kind of normal about my, <clears throat> my husband's ex-wife who had a daughter with, I was a little, you know, I was a little mistrustful. I didn't really want her around too much. I mean, I'm just making that transparent because it's normal to feel that way. I felt a little threatened. Yeah. Um, and there was, uh, in the very beginning of our marriage, there was um, a moment where his daughter, who was a teenager at the time, was coming for Thanksgiving. And uh, she, she said that uh, they lived in Northern California. We lived in Southern California. So she called her dad. She said, my mom is driving me down to Southern California, but can she come to dinner? Because uh, she doesn't have anywhere to go on Thanksgiving. And I said, no, she couldn't come to dinner. I was uncomfortable. I didn't want her there. So his daughter chose to go out and have pizza with her mother on Thanksgiving rather than come to her house. So that was a wake-up call for me. 
and I felt really ashamed of my stinginess. So uh, after that, I decided I was going to change my tune. And I uh, started the next year we invited her to come and it started and then we invited them for Christmas. And then my and it was ended up being great because our, our daughters got to know each other and got to be family. Uh, my daughter was just a little girl at the time. And um, at one point, and one Christmas, my daughter crawled into my lap. She said, "Mommy, can I ask my can I ask Anne, who's the former other former wife now, can I ask Anne to be my godmother because I want my sister's mother to be my mother." So I story. Yes, sweetheart. So now Anne is her godmother, and 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 frankly, they've come for Christmas ever since, and it's all changing now because her daughter's a great. My daughter's going off to college, so who knows what next year is going to be? But we kept that structure. This is what we call our happily even after family. Yes, happily even after. I love that. And uh, yeah, and I love my favorite part of the book is the becoming a love alchemist too. And you say you get to take the lead. You get, excuse me, you get to take the lead in your heavy heart and transform it into gold. Well, that's the Kintsugi image. You know, yeah. that Kintsugi is a Japanese art of when a pot is broken, beautiful pottery, it falls on the ground and it breaks and you repair it with gold so that, frankly, the, the pot is even more valuable and beautiful, which, which really can be possible. I mean, there's something so beautiful about being making the choice to be generous and to be kind and uh, to create uh, dignity and decency and honor in the, in the family system after you've chosen to divorce. It's, it's really quite beautiful. It feels like everybody's hearts get to grow bigger. And just everybody's hearts get to grow bigger. You know, I also want to say, because I know that there's a lot of listeners who never were married, who don't have children, who are here because their hearts are broken. Um, you know, I, I'm not, a, I'm not a, an advocate necessarily of being friends after a breakup. People are surprised to hear that. But I think, you know, I, I like, I, I think friendship is a very high form of love because, because you're, you're so for the other person, even yeah. even at your own detriment. You're for the other person. So Aristotle called it philia, and he said it's actually friendship is a higher form of love than romance, which is interesting. Romantic love, because of this, you know, it's not about me and what I'm getting from you. I want happiness for you on your own terms. Yeah. So sometimes people show up like that. They earn that position with us. But I think sometimes we say, "Oh, let's just be friends," as kind of a demotion. Like we're demoting someone from being lover. Now we're just going to be friends as though, you know, in a way, because we don't really want to be responsible for maybe losing that person. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, sometimes people behave badly. We don't necessarily want to keep them. However, we do want to be at peace with everyone that we have ever been close to because relationships don't end just because we give the keys to the condo back. Mm. There's this thing I talk about in step four also about this non-locality and how we really are connected to people across the miles. Um, and oh, I love that story. Yes. yes. That's a, that's a crazy story. Isn't that, that is a crazy, wonderful story. Do you yeah. want to tell it now or do you want it to just be a teaser for them to read the book? Well, I'll, I'll give a little <laughs> like 
you know, two minute version of my high school boyfriend, Frank, who I, we severed our connection because uh, he ended up marrying the, the next person he dated after I broke his heart. And it, it, and it just kind of severed our connection, but we weren't at all over each other. So it kind of lived for us like a, like a longing and maybe, and I miss him. And I mean, that went on for decades. So when I was doing Calling in the One, I went into, uh, one of the things I ask in Calling in the One is, who are you incomplete with? Like, what are the agreements that you have? And one of the things I said to Frank in high school was, um, well, you know, because I was 18 and you say these silly things. I said, well, we'll go our separate ways now, but when we're in our 60s, you know, we'll get back together again. And, uh, of course, you know, he didn't bother with that. But that launched <laughs> me, right? Like, he just went and married somebody. So... <laughs> that lodged in me and I there was part of me that was like oh you know holding out I want to be free in my 60s so crazy so anyway but I um I realized that that was something I needed to complete so when I was doing calling in the one I didn't want to call him and disrupt his family because he had three children he'd been married for 20 years at that point so I went into meditation and I imagined him sitting before me and I had this beautiful heartfelt conversation and I cried and I said, I can't keep that agreement. And I let him go. And very soon after I met Mark, my, who is now my husband was soon to be my husband at that point. I was very excited. But several years later, maybe about eight years later, uh, a mutual friend of Frank and I connected the two of us because he'd read that story in Calling in the One. So he called Frank and he said, do you know you're in the book? And so we got connected. And uh, part of what happened in that conversation was a beautiful conversation of amends. It was very emotional. Um, but I told him that I had, you know, dreamt about it for 20 years. And he said, you know, I did too. And I said, well, when, when did your, when did that end? Because he was like kind of tortured also, thought of me a lot, longed for me. I mean, 20 years, it was so crazy. And uh, he said, um, he thought about it, he said, I think it ended about eight years ago. Wow, yeah. Which is when I did the meditation. And then an even crazier thing is it was such an emotional conversation and we were actually, you know, both married to other people. So I just kind of said, let's just let this go. And, you know, we didn't contact each other. We just were happy with that conversation. But a year after that, I just had, I was, Mark and I were starting to kind of separate at that time. And a year, uh, a year later, I just on a, on a whim just wrote him and uh, just said, Hey, I'm just thinking about you. If you ever need a friend, I'm here for you. As I pressed the send button, I gasped because I, I realized that he was getting a divorce. I don't know how I knew that. He wrote me an hour later and said, I can't believe you're writing me tonight. And my wife just said over dinner, she wants a divorce. So I talk about this story and he's a friend now to this day. He's a, he's a good friend, but he's, you know, I was, you know, we laugh because it was such a good thing for us to separate. <laughs> but, but, but this, this element of, of incompletion between people, you know, we want to be at peace with people. I also have another quote in the book by Merritt Malloy, which says, relationships that do not end peacefully do not end at all. I love that one of the things that you said very clearly, very simply, the goal of a conscious uncoupling is to be free. This new modern day loving is lending itself to a change in how we end our modern day love relationships. And this book gives you so many 
wonderful exercises, inspirations to do exactly that. And I just, it's such a great service that you're offering to all of our hearts. It's so beautiful. Thank you. So generous of you to have me here to celebrate your book launch. Oh, thank you. And speaking of launching, OnConsciousUncoupling.com right now is a very exciting announcement that I would love to tell you to tell people about. Well, I, I like to hold community calls where I really take people through a process. So uh, uh, at the end of January, we have a free community called The Better Breakup, How to Avoid Three Mistakes, Steal Suffering, what is it, Steal Joy, or Cause Suffering, Steal Joy, and Prevent Future Love. And I'm going to take people through a process where they really have an experience of being released from heartbreak and uh, feel hopeful again about their future and, and really get clear about how to move forward. So we that's just a free call, and we'd love people to sign up for it. That's great. So go to ConsciousUncoupling.com. And then also you have a bevy of coaches that um, take your wisdom and coach people, right? I do. I do. And I have a coach training coming up soon for calling in the one and also Conscious Uncoupling so people can find a coach or you can – Find out about becoming a coach on KatherineWoodwardThomas.com. That was Catherine Woodward Thomas, and we were cut off abruptly because I lost internet connection right at the end of that, so you didn't hear us saying goodbye, but it, it ended so beautifully right after she said KatherineWoodwardThomas.com. So perfect. Check her out there. Check out ConsciousUncoupling.com. Go and Sign up for that free call that she's having um, at the end of this month, which is January 2019, if you're listening to this before the end of January 2019. And if you like this podcast, please go rate it on iTunes. It'll bring more people, more superheroes of love into the fold. And I appreciate that. Sending lots of love. And also go pick up your copy of Superhero of Love. It's now available. It came out on January 1st. Yay. Thanks, everyone.